to actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. As you know, we all have different pursuits in life, and sometimes we need to be a little bit flexible. One of the things I realized a while back is that one of the best ways to go about things is to have a plan, but also be prepared to have that plan change or have the need to kind of change course from time to time. With that being said, I want to bring on my guest today, Elise Obatowski, who has a business called We Talk Real Talk that had kind of started out with one mission. And the mission was, I wouldn't say completely altered, but was changed in a way. Without further ado, here is Elise. Thank you very much. Hi, Stephen. So happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Definitely. Can you uh, start from the beginning with We Talk Real Talk? How did the concept begin from the start? Yeah, I am from Denver and left for about 10 years. And when I came back, I found that it was really challenging to find a community to meet people. Um, I had lived in like major cities, which I understood why there was a challenge here. But I found it, it odd coming back to my hometown and seeing how it was challenging. First, meeting people. And then second of all, a lot of the people that I was meeting only had a few friends or didn't know a ton of people here. And so I first just wanted to figure out ways to bring people together. Community has always been really important for me. And then I was also hearing from people that a lot of their friendships or interactions were pretty surface level. And I love asking deep questions. <laughs> so, you know, I would get good feedback on that, but also was wondering how I could create more opportunities at dinner parties or opportunities to bring people together of how there could be deeper conversations there. So I just started with some friends hosting some dinners and having questions on the table where people could go deeper. And that was really successful and people really enjoyed it. So I decided to start a business, We Talk Real Talk, where we would bring people together in a more facilitated way to be able to have these deeper questions. And a lot of what came out of it was there was friendships, there was business partners, there was some dating involved. And it also allowed people to really talk about these things that they're not always able to talk about as well and see that a lot of times that we all have this shared humanity and these shared experiences. And also I allowed that another thing that is important to me and was really important for them too was this feeling of getting rid of shame and not having shame around topics when they would talk about something and other people would have similar experiences or just be there to support them and listen to what they were sharing. Nice. And so, first of all, where did you move to? You said you're from Denver. You moved back here. Where did you mm -hmm. live in between? Yeah. So I went to school in Michigan. And then I did a really interesting year-long program where they moved you across the country every four months. So I lived in lots of fun cities, Fort Lauderdale, San Francisco, St. Louis, Ann Arbor. After that, I loved San Francisco. So I was there for about five years and then came back to Denver. So when you came back to Denver, the challenge as far as, because you went to San Francisco, you really liked it. I assume you made a really good social circle there. When you came back mm -hmm. to Denver, was there some sort of a unique challenge you experienced? And was it related to kind of being the specifics of Denver or the specifics of phase of life? Like, how would you describe the challenge you experienced both in finding a social circle here as well as making kind of more deep and meaningful connections? Yeah. You know, I don't know why I had this expectation. And I think that's an important important thing that I've learned a lot through this journey is setting certain expectations and they don't always turn out how you think and that can change things. But I just kind of had this assumption that like I knew a good amount of people, it was going to be easy, it was going to be fine and awesome. And I did have a close friend from high school, a good friend that I grew up with that lived here. So I did have like people here and there that did make it a much easier transition than most people I'm sure had. But I just figured kind of at different networking, social events, I go to a lot of different things that like the community was going to grow really quickly. 
I think so it was one piece is like the actual quantity of people that I expected to meet and bond with. And I think the second piece of it was, again, that quality piece. Like I met some really awesome people and I realized through some of the friendships that I had or what was really important was finding people that also could go deep, could talk about real things going on. I love when we're able, you know, to have fun, to to go out and just have a good time. And also at the same time, though, really wanted people around me that were also able to go deeper and have conversations about that really what was going on with them and what mattered to them in life. So, so did you find that some of these connections that you were making were just not going deep at the time? And if so... Is there any particular reason you can outline? Yeah, I think a piece of it was feeling confident enough to ask some of the deeper questions. I used to start in my early 20s with like, what's your story? And I got a lot of feedback. That was an intense first question. (laughs) Um, So I think it was a lot of like feeling comfortable, maybe asking some of these things and an opportunity for growth that I've had over this journey is being like, okay, so I don't ask, how are you doing? Because I don't love that question. Um, (laughs) The first time you meet somebody and that's okay. And starting to feel comfortable with that. Um, A lot of times, you know, it's people feeling comfortable, feeling in the right space to feel safe, to talk about things. And so a lot of these people that I was meeting at the beginning may have gone deeper in certain contexts, but just based on the interaction, it didn't go that way. And at the same time, I did start to meet people that really wanted to go there. And those are the people that I started testing and doing these parties with for We Talk Real Talk. So at these parties, you talked about this feeling of shame. What I'm guessing you're referring to is the feeling of being ashamed to either admit something about yourself or to describe something about how you feel. How did you kind of overcome that, overcome the tendency for people to feel shameful and and I guess hide things or not really reveal themselves. And that, of course, oftentimes does keep things very surface level. Yeah, I realize that a lot of it comes from the tone that's being set. And so when I would open up and share my personal story and my journey and things that have been shameful maybe in the past that I feel comfortable talking about now, that was always a good place to set the stage. And I would notice that depending on like the first question, At first, I would let participants answer. Then I learned that if I answered first and I was willing to go deeper and be more vulnerable with people, that there was more willingness to open up and not feel shame about things, especially when I shared my story and they could look around the room and see that like people were supportive of that situation. No one was laughing. There wasn't any problems with that. And also another thing is setting ground rules. So having specific ways to create a space that people feel comfortable sharing and saying things like confidentiality and things like that, that just make people feel a little bit more at ease. If anyone listening right now has something they're feeling shameful about that they want to open up to people about and say they're feeling kind of, honestly, some form of weird about it, what piece of advice would you give these particular people? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that there's for a lot of situations in my life that have felt shameful, there was, you know, sitting with it. And if you have any practices that like you're, you know, in your body or doing that, like that's a good thing to sit with and kind of release. If it's something in the mind, it's like I found journaling or writing, or it's hard to just share openly and vulnerably if you aren't feeling a hundred percent. And also if you're not feeling a hundred percent, that's okay. And if that's where you're at, finding communities, conscious communities or spaces that might feel comfortable to open up and or with people that you know in the past when you've shared things, they've been really supportive of is important. I've noticed if you do have shameful experiences and it's a parent or someone that's not always supportive or there to listen in certain situations, then that makes it harder to continue to want to share that and feel less shame around it next time. 
So I think it's a combination of you yourself, as well as the people that you're sharing with having that be intentional. Definitely. So would you say that self-acceptance is a part of that journey, regardless of the reason why you're feeling shameful about a certain thing? I wouldn't say necessarily say, okay, this behavior of mine is good or it's fine, but at least kind of one of the things I've been telling a lot of people is right now, what we need as a society is this these two concepts that seem contradictory to one another, radical admittance to whatever flaws we have, but also radical self-acceptance at the same time. You say that self-acceptance is part of that journey toward how we can really open up about whatever we're feeling shameful about? Definitely. I totally agree with that. I think that there really is almost, I mean, I really can't think of any reason of why you can't or shouldn't be able to love yourself and why there aren't other people around to love you. I'm not obviously promoting hurting or harming or killing someone, but there are a lot of people that are in prison that may have done this. And obviously there's redemption and other things to that, but there's a lot of people in prison that have wives or partners or other people that have accepted them. You know, there's like on an extreme level, there's really a lot of things that we do knowing that we're human, that things can change and that there are people in the world that are willing to accept us for all of those things. And I think you're right. It comes and starts with loving and accepting yourself first. And this is an interesting topic because another component of what you're describing in this process is also finding the right people. First of all, sometimes Mm -hmm. getting over some of the experiences that a lot of us have in the past because shame often comes from some sort of past experience where someone, whether it be a good friend, a partner, a parent, didn't accept you for one reason or another, right? So part of it is finding those right people, finding the people that are going to accept you and also, I would say, just accept you. So what would you say about other times when you need to just let go of people? Yeah, I think that that's a really important process. It was put very well to me, which is like, you know, sometimes you need to let go of certain things to bring stronger energy in your life or types of people in your life. Like if someone's holding you back in lot, it could be a lot, mean a lot of things. But if they're not supportive or fueling you or negative or whatever those cases may be, like the saying goes, you're the kind of sum of the five closest people to you. So if you're thinking about that, right, how are you surrounding yourselves with those people that are supportive, where you can open up, where you can be this way, like wherever you want to be, seeing if you can have those people along with you. And I've learned over time that people are scared of like doing these things. But first of all, it can help you a lot. And second of all, everything doesn't have to be like a dramatic breakup or ending in terms of friendships, dating, anything. Like there's a way to come about these things to just shift some of those relationships too and what they look like. That's actually a really good point because what it sounds like when people talk about the idea of, say, cutting someone out of your life, it sounds really dramatic. Whereas it might be possible just to say, okay, well, these people are find people, but I need to go and do something else for a while. Or it's definitely an interesting topic. And for most people, there is like this component of like, what are you filling? I I think I have a friend that calls it, what do you fill your bowl with? You know, what are you filling your mind with? One thing I commonly said, I um, think it was actually four years ago this month, I decided to take a month off of the news. No news for the entire month of February, 2017. And one thing I learned is, we'll go through a lot of exercises when we think about what we're putting into our body, like dieting, right? But how often do we really think, what are we putting into our minds? What is our brain consuming? What content are we consuming on a regular basis? And who's deciding it? 
Are your friends deciding it? Is Netflix deciding it based on their algorithm and YouTube and Spotify and all that other stuff? Not to Spotify is a great service, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's an interesting point. The one other thing I kind of wanted to touch on about this component of the experience about what you kind of said originally is, is the tone of voice, because I'm wondering if there's a little guidance you can provide based on your experience about the tone of voice that people can foster to encourage this acceptance and this very open where there's a certain tone of voice that makes people feel like, oh yeah, I can open up to you. I can talk to you about things that are real. Yeah. I think that it's the space that you're looking in kind of people's tones will look a little bit different. What I found more so is being real and honest with what you're saying. You know, your tone might inflate in different ways and you can tell when someone's excited or when they've rehearsed a speech over and over, like especially going to a lot of community events, you know, it's what is said, but you hear that energy and you hear how people feel about that situation. And it's pretty obvious if this is like a rehearsed speech that you've done a million times. And even if you do that, like, how can you make it personal and really be honest with what you're saying? I think that's been a lot of spaces to allow people to open up or share in certain ways. So, and, you know, I think it is an important point because when we've heard that things kind of get heated, our events are, or were more kind of about yourself and your experience. And so speaking from I, I find that less people can get kind of charged with whatever is being said, but other events where people might just be debating a topic, sharing an opinion, you know, having the level, like the tone kind of sound angry or be raised or things like that. And seeing how that can bother people, it's just kind of also checking in and being like, well, this is maybe how this person speaks or like maybe they are upset. And how do we unpack that situation? So also paying attention when other people in the room are saying or doing things and seeing how that's being interpreted and what that might look like. I think one of the big problems we have today is how divisive our political culture is and how divisive some of our conversations are on a lot of grounds. And this is not a political podcast. And the purpose of this podcast is definitely never to get someone to adapt certain political points of views or support certain political ideas. But what can someone do if people do want to? Because I think for a while we've had this answer to it all of not talking about things. And that seems to not really working. If people want to have an open and honest conversation, knowing that there's a lot of people out there ready to get offended by things, what can you do today to just in your own way, through your own conversations with your neighbors, your friends, your family, to kind of calm things down and make a more productive conversation around a lot of topics? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I think about a lot. And I think the biggest thing that's helped me is really coming to something to listen and not to win. If I'm just coming in to win an argument, then it looks a lot different by actually genuinely being interested in that person's point of view. So I think this is good practice if you're talking to people with on divisive topics, but also just practicing it in everyday conversations and starting there. And I think the second piece of this is also knowing that a conversation or a dialogue, even if there's opposite sides, doesn't necessarily mean bad or conflict. It's been really powerful to see a friend's family, ways that they have these conversations and their tone does come up a little and it sounds like they're arguing, but they've also, again, with the ground rules, like maybe it's not an official ground rule, but they've talked about it as a family, these conversations are a place for learning, are a place to understand. And, you know, then they're laughing 10 minutes later. That wasn't necessarily society or how I was raised in lots of ways, but really coming from it to be like, okay, I'm coming to learn. I'm coming with curiosity and interest and that we're going to have a discussion of like whatever the person says, 
great. I'm open to hear. And that doesn't mean you're bad. You're wrong. I dislike you. This is really an exciting opportunity here to understand other points of view. I hope a lot more people in the near future can adopt that mindset when coming into conversations. And especially because the mindset of curiosity seems to have utility in a lot of areas of life, not just diffusing some of these divisive topics we have today, but also just in creating a better business. Anyone, I think anyone that runs a business needs to be curious about their clients, curious about the customers, curious about the market they're in, curious about what the mission is. Now, let's go on to the next part of your journey. So you started, we talk real talk and you were running events and these events were pretty successful in getting people mm -hmm. together. And then at some point you decided you needed to pivot a little. Can you describe that moment? So I think I was starting to feel it a few months pre-COVID hitting and just realizing that I love the community building piece. I love these conversations. I really enjoyed the facilitation of what was coming out of people realizing things in the conversation. And I realized that I am not an event planner and I have big, big place in my heart for <laughs> event planners and people that do that. But so much time was spent on the logistics instead of really working on like what the flow looked like, the conversations. And like, that's where I wanted to be spending all my time. We partnered with um, another group and we're supposed to have an event at the beginning of March, which was pushed back and went online, which was really one of probably one of our most successful events. And it was a really, really wonderful event. And showed me that like, yeah, we can do things on Zoom, we can do things online and did a few other events. So it wasn't necessarily because COVID happened and events weren't happening. I saw there was still a platform to make that happen. And it gave me an opportunity to take a step back a little bit and reassess like the parts that were exciting me and parts that I wasn't necessarily maybe as into. And so from there, I was just kind of thinking about what was enjoyable, what like my vision of change and what I was looking back at the mission and what the outcome was and what we were looking to get and help and support people with. It goes back to me asking those questions, having deep conversations, had done a lot of personal work as well as trainings, workshops, otherwise more in like kind of the life coach realm. And from this will be, I guess now technically three of my own businesses, having those own personal experiences <laughs> with business coaching, pivoted into business and life coaching and it was kind of a seamless transition and realizing that I love these like one-off events. And what really like fills me up is also helping people one-on-one, -on -one, figuring out what they're really excited about, what they're really committed to and how to go after that. That's something that's always been fun and really enjoyed throughout my life and been able to do myself. That's kind of where it's transitioned to. In addition to that, figuring out how with that community piece, how can we still form groups and communities of people that can support each other and myself personally enjoying doing those things more regularly so that you can actually practice opening up more and more every time with the group of people practice like communication skills which is kind of at the heart of all of these things it's just like effective and honest communication and then staying friends or you know connected with people is great but also it's fine to practice it for a month three months etc and then be able to go off in your own life and find friends in your community that way so what that's looked like is I also got some other jobs during COVID at this time and was doing college counseling at a school where I was able to pitch them um, an electives class. So I now teach a class called Who Am I? Where we look at the psychological, sociological, and it's a Jewish school, so Jewish values around who high schoolers are and figuring out academically and non-academically how to continue to build these types of groups. So it seems like, first of all, you're helping people figure out who they are, both in this high school setting as well as 
in this life coaching setting. Now, is your life coaching services now, is it the services that people tend to typically think of about life coaching with the one-on-one or is there a community aspect to it? How do these two things intersect together? That's a great question. Right now, it is one-on-one work. I'm looking for the future of how to also do more group work as well as connect kind of the individual participants to each other. I feel really grateful and love kind of connecting and networking. And so with each client, a lot of times, depending on what the work is, have been able to connect them with people in my wider community. And that's always something fun too, to allow them to have the sense and have the support from other individuals. With this transition, first of all, it sounds like the transition you made was based on some sort of realization about who you are as a person and what lights you up. And a lot of people, I think you probably encountered in business coaching the idea of when you first start a business, you're wearing all the different hats and then you decide which hats you're the best at and just farm out the work in the other hat. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's some element of that process in there and that you decided, okay, I'm not really into, say, planning the logistics of an event like people who kind of work full-time as an event planner or event coordinator. But would you say in that, that you're still kind of serving the same basic general overall mission that you'd originally come to We Talk Real Talk with? Yeah, definitely. I think that it's still a kind of that support of others, allowing them to be open and honest. It might be in a one-on-one setting or in a class setting or in a group setting, but still that ability for them to open up and be honest in that sort of way. And what's nice about this, whether it's connecting them to other people, if we're doing one-on-one coaching or if it's the group together, it's allowing them to practice these forms of communication and connection. That's really exciting. And I think it's still with that same mission. And on that, I also want to say like, it's definitely not easy to do these transitions or pivots. I think that there was a lot mentally to go through and think about like for myself, what that looked like for how that appeared to other people and realizing, like you said, you know, I think it is really important to figure out like what lights you up and what you're passionate about. Because when you're a small business owner, these are things that you have to like do and commit to every single day and be excited if you want to keep going. So it's been a really awesome process and glad that I was able to make that shift. That is awesome. And with your more one-on-one coaching service, what type of people do you usually end up working with? So right now it is individuals that usually come because they need support in like one specific area. Obviously, if it's business coaching, it's their business, but there's something else that's big in their life. And what, you know, I tell them that we're going to be working on is figuring out, deepening into that and seeing like, is that true? Is that really what they're looking for? Is there something else? Or like breaking down kind of what those commitments are and what they're looking to do. Some have had like previous experience with either life coaches or therapists or other types of people or done some of that work. But a lot of people that come have some sort of degree, maybe not 100%, but yeah, some sort of degree of self-knowledge, knowing who they are, being able to have some of these conversations and being willing to kind of dig deeper into what's happening with them. It's primarily people kind of in their early 30s-ish, and it just kind of happened that way and happy to expand them look at other groups, but that's been what's coming up primarily. And with the work with high schoolers, also looking how to expand to other high school students as well. One of the things I wonder, as you're looking at early 30s, you're looking at kind of the core millennials, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at high schoolers, which most people describe as Gen Z. Are you seeing any Mm -hmm. difference in communication skills, communication methods, or any of the other mindset stuff that you are kind of working with people on? Yeah. 
I don't think this is necessarily like a Gen Z thing. I think this is all high schoolers. How much before you're like impacted by a lot of the societal impacts or norms, you have so much innocence and wisdom. I think all ages have a lot of that wisdom, but it's been powerful to see less situations impacting your thoughts on the world. And so it's really amazing to hear what some of these high schoolers have to say and think about the world and how profound some of those things are. I have the same thing with my clients too, but it's always just an interesting reminder at that young age, how really introspective a lot of these students are. And I do find that with the millennial clients, and again, this is an age thing, not millennial versus Gen Z, but they do have more of a sense of self and who they are. And they're kind of standing in that, which I think in lots of ways is awesome and makes the work easier. And in lots of ways, it make it harder because it's like breaking that down, understanding, is that really you? Is that someone else, parents, et cetera, you know, doing that. Whereas the high schoolers are a little bit more at the beginning of their journey. And, you know, I have biases and thoughts on technology and I can see how it affects a lot of like maybe learning differences, ADD, ADHD, things like that on their phones all the time and communications a lot easier over text or email. But I also realize like I do that too. I see <laughs> myself walk into school on my phone or like that's somewhat preferred to communicate. I do love talking on the phone. So I'll call the kids up too and like they will be shocked. Then we can have a conversation. And I think there is like a small gap definitely with some of the communication, especially with their peers and people that age because it's primarily done in a different way. And so there's something to be taught there. But I also see how as millennials, myself, at least I can say like, there's a lot of similar things of communication over email or text with friends as well that I think we've all just adapted to that type of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, actually, sometimes I feel like our generation can sometimes actually be the worst because all this new communication methods, they were like pretty new when we were coming up. I don't know, you probably had the experience where all of a sudden you get a text message and it's pretty much a blog post typed into a, a text block. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, there's got to be another way or mm-hmm. there's just kind of all this scattered. And we haven't really societally got to the point where we all have agreed generally upon what form of communication is for what purposes. Mm-hmm. Some people with email, now with Slack, it gets a little bit challenging. And one of the things I'm glad you pointed out is that a lot of people will attribute a lot of differences to generational differences when sometimes they're just phase of life. I think there would be a better understanding amongst the different generations if we all kind of just stopped and remembered. Like we were all in high school once, the vast majority of us were teenagers in high school once too. And we had a time when having a pimple on the wrong day of the week felt like the end of the world or whatever it is that we accuse the high schoolers of. So it's great to have that understanding. And it's also great to have that connection to that childlike or youthful innocence that you experience with these high schoolers, how has that impacted your own outlook on how you're going about everything? I think that a challenge and opportunity most of my life, but that's really been coming up the past, we'll say three to five years, is really intense black and white thinking that I've always been raised with or um, probably combination of nature nurture, but thinking of things really as one way or the opposite and trying to work to understand like everything really is gray. There isn't anything that's like a hundred percent one way or a hundred percent another way, figuring out how to like live more in that middle area. And I think that they're a wonderful reminder of not just like categorizing people or situations or things in one way, but being more flexible in thinking and the way that we see people and the way that we interact with others, which has been really helpful. 
and on that previous note, just one thing that I think is important and worth mentioning is we met, I don't know, two plus years ago at an event briefly, and then we're just emailing and you followed up with me. And I remember we've had like a few calls since, and I always, with anyone that's like interested in, we talk real talk or really just any parts of my life, someone, you know, I might meet on a walk or something like that, really trying to do calls, trying to do Zooms. If it feels safe and you're able, and there's like outside walks or opportunities to do that, great ways to connect with people in that way and how the relationship looks different. But now I get to be on your podcast and we get to continue to like have these enriching conversations and how relationships can look really different still or phone or Zoom than it might over text. One of the things that you've experienced is, is my own evolution in my manner of networking. When I first started networking, I think I fell into the trap of going to one of those events where you just come home with 25 business cards, you set up four coffee meetups, and then don't really foster those relationships. At the time in 2018, 2019, the thing I was realizing about networking is sometimes you need to be a little bit more purposeful. And it's not about grabbing as many business cards as you possibly can and putting yourself... I was in between jobs and I still managed to put myself in what people often refer to as email jail, just from networking events and came to the realization okay, this might not be the best strategy. I might need to actually figure out who are the people that I'm really interested in forming a more meaningful connection with and how to be a little bit more purposeful with that. Anyway, I also was wondering, your clients, it seems like a lot of them are going through a fairly similar story to what you went through, where you think you're one thing and then you got to pivot a little bit or you realize something about yourself. What would you say is the greatest challenge you encounter when you're working with your people? Well, I'm glad you brought that point up because what was actually coming up this week is a lot of times, and some of these individuals are very different from myself, and realizing that the things that are hardest to have honest conversations about or to dig deeper into are things that are parallel experiences that I've had that maybe I have to dig deeper into that hasn't been like 100% resolved. And it's a really interesting opportunity to watch how these things affect me too, as I'm coaching them and realize that what is the most challenging for me is personal and, and working through that myself in addition to holding space for the client too. When you see your clients have breakthroughs, like what is the most satisfying component of what we talk real talk has evolved into? Yeah. I think even before we talk, real talk existed, like my personal mission has always been how to support myself and others in like following or pursuing or believing in kind of that deep thing in their core. You know, there's different words, whether it's purpose or commitment or passion, having people have these goals and then watch it actually happen and evolve. I mean, I think like the big goals that are accomplished that you can kind of see on paper when like these things are actually happening is so exciting. But then also it's that like understanding of themselves, right? Like really figuring out what those things are and running with it is really great. And even just in like, there's just so many little things in each session about people having a deeper understanding of who they are or what really excites them is just really empowering. And then with the group setting, it's also, you know, the kids that I have in my class is ninth through 12th graders. So that's a big range of 14 to 18. And that four years might not seem big anymore, but at the time that's a lot. And so having them start to have connections or opening up to each other in classes where like high school can be such a vulnerable and like scary time. I think those have been so powerful to watch and witness. Definitely. And for anyone listening, I'm sure there's some people listening right now that are completely lost. And I'm thinking about a situation that I found myself in in the past where 
you just don't understand what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And these are a group of people that really need to kind of figure out some things about themselves so that they can figure out how to move. What do you think is the number one thing that someone can do, say, tomorrow when they wake up to improve their understanding of themselves? So I would say that giving silence and like pause or space is the most important thing. So I think that can take a lot of different forms. Like you might be someone that feels comfortable with meditation and meditation literally might just be spending five or 10 minutes with your eyes closed, just breathing or seeing if you can focus on your breath. It might be something that you wake up every morning and you journal and you write all these things. The artist way is a good way to start looking at that, but you're just kind of writing out everything in your head, taking a walk, but just really noticing all the things around you, noticing your feet and the trees and everything else happening. Like, I think that there's a lot of ways that if we aren't distracting ourselves with noise and all the things around that you were mentioning before, and we just allow like silence and time with ourselves, that's a really great way to start to explore these things deeper and understand what really is a combination of things that excite you and your gifts, because everyone definitely has them. So that is awesome. And before we wrap up, I just want to give my listeners a chance to connect with you if they so desire. So how would someone best go about inquiring more about We Talk, Real Talk, and your services? Yeah, thanks. So the website is wetalkrealtalk.com. I can also be reached via email at elise at wetalkrealtalk.com. It's A-L-Y-S-E. If you type that into Google or find me on Instagram or anything else, you should be able to connect with me pretty easily. So. I love the story. I love the component where in the first iteration of We Talk Real Talk, how you saw a need based on your own experience, took action based on it, and then pivoted based on a better understanding of yourself. Also with the understanding and what I hope my listeners get out of this is that sometimes you start something, you realize that's not exactly the direction it's going to go, but that was actually a great use of time. So I love that story. I wish you the best going forward as well as for your clients, because it sounds like they are coming to some great realizations about who they are, what they want to do, and hopefully get inspired in a similar way that I'm hoping to inspire people through this podcast by hearing stories and saying, yes, I should go out and start doing things. I should pursue what I want to and be true to who I really am. Once again, thank you very much and stay tuned to Actions Antidotes. I will be having more guests with similar experiences, with different experiences. I'm trying to cover the entire realm of possibilities for our true selves. Thank you.